You know, every day with Yahweh is a new beginning. And so uh, how, do, how do we do today? How do we treat today? How do we live today? You know, every day is a dedicating to the Father. Every day is determining are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to live for him? Are we going to work for him or are we going to work being kingdom-minded? So every day we have choices to make. And the Moedim take us through that process. You know, we've been talking about the Moedim as we've been getting into the fall festivals and coming close to them. We've been talking about how they interrupt your life, even starting with Shabbat. They interrupt your life. They interrupt your plans. How dare you? They interrupt your plans for, for a reason. The reason being is that Yahweh is showing us we need to be mindful of what he wants us to do. We, we need to be mindful of his ways. Because in the world, there's so many things to distract us, keep us busy, and keep us occupied with so many other things that uh, we need to come back to what Yahweh desires for us. You know, he, he created everything. He created the heavens and the earth, everything in it. He created you. And there's a way that he wants everything to function. And you have a role in that. You have a role in that. Like when he created Adam and Hava, and he put them in the garden, and he, and he gave them a task. He gave them a job to do. Well, you have a task. You have things that the Father desires for you to do. And, and we walk it daily. And we, as we learn about him, we grow. It's not just about knowledge. It's about learning how to dwell in relationship with him and then doing that, dwelling in relationship with him. And uh, Yom Kippur is an interesting take on, on all this because it's kind of like a, a break in, in everything. <laughs> that was funny. So it, it's kind of Yom Kippur is as we take a break in all of these things because when it comes to Yom Kippurim, you do nothing. That that works. <laughs> On the live stream, you can't hear it. It's like the phone is answering me and it's responding quite quite accordingly. <laughs> When it comes to Yom Kippurim, you do nothing, but that is the point. Because there is nothing you can do to provide atonement for you. Nothing. So that's why it's even a time to fast. There is nothing you can do to provide atonement for you. Atonement is provided for you. Okay? You have to receive it, and from, the, from that day forward, walk in it. Okay? So... We're learning about these things. We're going to talk about many different things today in Yom Kippurim. I've got a lot of scripture for you. I am going to reference a few uh, commentaries, okay, because I think there are some important things we need to get into with some of the scriptures and the commentary. Um, and, and, and when we do talk about commentaries and different books and different things, guys, you know my take on that. I don't consider them scripture. They're commentaries. Okay, but it's just like going to a bookstore and any book that you would buy is commentary. Matter of fact, anything that I say to you other than standing up here and quoting scripture is commentary. <laughs> okay, so don't get caught up in the fact, oh, he's, he's quoting from something that's not the Bible. Anything I say to you that's not quoting scripture is not the Bible. Okay, so we need to just learn and see where the Father has. Okay, you know, uh, sometimes we just have to talk it out. We just have to see how we can come to an understanding in these things. And that's one of the things we're going to come to with Yom HaKippurim, all right? So there are some things we are going to address today, though. And, and I'm telling you this up front so you can kind of see what's coming and how these things are going to relate to you, okay? One, what is atonement and, uh, and, and what it means, okay? What and who is atonement for? Who can do the service for atonement? It's called the Avodah. And what does the Avodah look like? What is the Avodah service? And why do we fast? Uh, also, keeping in note, the Avodah is the service for Yom Kippur. Avodah is also the word for work. 
evid, avud, and it is also the word for worship. It's also the word for a servant. So, see, when we are completely and totally set to Yahweh, we worship him, we work for him, we are a servant for him. But in Hebrew, that's all the same. See, it's all, it's all encompassed all together in one, all right? So, where do we start? Let's go back to Leviticus 23. We start in Leviticus 23. With the, when we read about the Moedim, and we read in Leviticus 23, verses 26 to 32, it says, So Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, So on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement, and it shall be for you a time of holy convocation. You shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to Yahweh. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before Yahweh your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that day shall be cut off from his people, verse 30. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. And you shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. And it shall be for you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening. From evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Okay. One of the things to note, and again, how we approach something, our idea, our preconceived ideas of something has a big role to play in what we we say day of atonement we often think of you know just one atonement you know that's like okay we've been forgiven for sins right here's the thing though atonement isn't necessarily forgiveness of sins and and further atonement the day of atonement isn't literally the way it reads in the scripture it's yom hakipurim that's plural they have atonement and we go through when we read the scripture you know we see that that Aaron he makes atonement not just for Israel. He made atonement for the altar. He made atonement for the tent. He made atonement for the priest. He made atonement for his household. He made it, so this has to do with more than forgiving of sin because did the altars, the tent, see? So there's more to it than what we generally think, all right? So we've got to go back and we've got to take a look at this. So let's start off with this. So what is atonement? Why is it? Atonement is the word kafar. Kippurim is the plural of the word but the word atonement is the word kafar, which means to, uh, to placate or to cancel something, to appease, to cleanse something, disannul, forgive, be merciful, to pardon or to pitch, like to cover with something or to purge away, make reconciliation. All these things are different aspects of this word and how it translates in different scenarios, okay? Generally, atonement means to cover something. It doesn't always mean it erases. It means it's covered. In other words, it might still be there, but I don't see it. So, so when atonement has, was, pro, was provided, like when they placed the blood on the altar, does it mean I can no longer see the altar? No, it's still. What it means is that which comes against and that it represents and the uncleanness and all these things that are there, that, that doesn't, these things have been there, but it doesn't matter. See, and that kind of changes the perspective. See, we say atonement means forgiveness. Not necessarily. There's more to it. It's kind of an oversimplification. Literally, if you go back and you look in the Hebrew, it breaks down like the letter by letter, right? Uh, it's, it's kaf, pe, resh. Kaf is the palm of a hand. Okay, pe is the mouth and, and resh is the head. So literally, we could say this word involves something regarding the hands, the mouth, and the head. Think about the Yom Kippur service. Aaron, he takes his hands, he, he lays them on the head of the goat, and he confesses over all Israel. Confesses over the goat, all these things with Israel being related into that. The word... Kaf is palm. Kaf is palm. So we have a palm and then the head. So something's going on here with the palms and the head. And again, we're talking about covering. Look, kaf, 
means the hands or the palm of the hands, or it can even represent the stretching out of hands. We read in Exodus 9.29 that Moshe says, As soon as I am gone out by the city, I will stretch out my hands to Adonai. And then the thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, and you will know that the earth is Adonai. And he says, Ephrosh, I will stretch out the Aleph, Taf, Kapai, my hands, my palms, El Yahweh, to Yahweh. So there's an idea here of saying stretching out the hands to Yahweh is a representative. And in Isaiah 1, 15 through 18, it says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you multiply prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. See that? So you stretch out your hands, but your hands are full of blood. And essentially the rest of the scripture is telling us to repent because of that. So he says, so you stretch out your hands. And I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil deeds before, before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Defend the order. And plead, plead for the, the widow. Come and let us reason together, says Adonai. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be, uh, become like wool. So see that stretching out your hands. But if our hands are stained with blood, what do we need to do? We need repentance. We need atonement. We need to, co- to be brought back into the presence of favor, brought back into a place of relationship. So in atonement, it's not just saying, okay, you're forgiven, or okay, there's a covering that's here. That's only part of the process. We have to be able to come near into the presence of Yahweh, because that was the goal in the very beginning, wasn't it? Yahweh walked with Adam in the cool of the day. They're talking about restoring relationship above everything else. And so Yahweh wants to restore relationship with you. He wants to have that relationship with you and walk with you. So we've got to be able to come into his presence somehow. And when we talk about the, the, the tabernacle and the temple, this was establishing a way that people can be drawn near to the Father through that which they brought near, korbanot, what we call sacrifices or offerings. Literally in the scripture, they're called korban, something brought near. So we are brought into the presence of Yahweh by means of bringing to him all that we're And then he finishes, okay? So this is what we're learning. So we go on. Atonement and drawing near. Psalm 65, verses 2 through 5. Praise is awaiting you in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Records of sins overwhelm me, and you will what? Atone for our transgression. Blessed is the one you choose to and bring near to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. See that? So atonement, it says the records of your sins overwhelm me, but it says you will atone for our transgressions. Then because you atone for our transgressions, you will be brought near. So it's not just saying, okay, you're forgiven. Now go away. There's atonement for you. Now you can finish what we've started. Now you can come near. So let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about atonement. You know, another word for kafar. Uh, when, 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 when the ark was being built and he covered it with pitch, right? That's the same word, kafar. That's the same word that's used there. So there, again, we see a picture of being covered. And so Yom HaKippurim, a day of atonements, is also a day for a covering for the people of Israel and a covering for everything that was associated with their uncleanness. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But there is a great cover-up that needs to be addressed, all right? So in the Pentateuch by Samson Raphael Hirsch, he states that, So the essential meaning of kippurah, or atonement, is that the covered has been, been explained in Genesis, or a covering over, or look at this, burying the past. 
It is the highest act of the absolute, free-willed, almighty power of God, who alone could do away with the natural law of cause and effect, which after all he himself has instituted, so that the consequences of the errors of sins and the past have no disturbing effect on the internal and external life of the future. Consider that for a minute. Don't get lost in the words that I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Did you see? The errors and sins of the past have no disturbing effect on the internal and external life of the future. So that after a morally bad past, the blossoming out of a pure and happy future is still possible. Let's keep reading. And he has promised this burying of the past for every honest, firm resolve of future faithful surrendering of one's whole being to the duty of keeping God's commandments, which is a vow expressed by uh, the, 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 the metanit dam, or the gift of blood, every korban, every offering, every, every offering, and the ritual prescribed for it represents the picture of life that ought to, be, ought to have been lived in the past and which must be lived in the future if God's approval and satisfaction is to be expected. So the things that were in the past no longer have to be seen as they, as they were that way. They have been covered, but now we need to live in the future the way he's asked us. So we keep going. The solemn promise to realize this picture of one's future life is the real condition for obtaining kippurah, atonement. Hence, yikfor, okay, so this is what we're looking at. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It is the blood for the soul. But it is essentially necessary to further the carrying out of the vow, and indeed the sincerity of the vow demands, and the more a bad past is to be buried, by the absolute omnipotence of God's benevolence, the more necessary it is that it should not be buried from the mind of the person, but rather be re- remain vivid in an unadulterated clarity of his mind. What he's saying is don't ever forget what God has brought you. Not to go back there. Not to condemn you. Not to say, oh, you're never going to get it right. No, but to say never forget what God has done for you. Never forget the goodness that he's shown you. And, and, and everything that was in the past, he has made atonement for us to bring us near to him. Okay? So, the 10th of Tishri, the 7th month, was added to the proof of the greatest of all truths. Namely, God does not only once grant existence and impart the task demanded for such existence, but he is always ready again and again to grant a new existence that has been forfeited by deriding its mission and with the renewal of the old broken law for its future faithful fulfillment to cover over and bury the past and introduce a completely new rejuvenated future. Understand, he's saying that we don't need to keep looking to yesterday as that's the way today's going to be. Every day he gives us the opportunity to make today, make today the good day. All right? So, if Pesach is the Moed, the appointed time for the revelation of the miracle of God's almighty power by the creation of the Jewish nation, for which Shavuot brought the conditions for its continuance, so Yom HaKippurim is the Moed for the revelation of the miracle of miracles. What is that? God's almighty power in eradicating all consequences of the past. How exciting that the recreation of an existence which already lapsed into extermination a moment of atonement, a spiritual, moral, social rebirth through the almighty grace of God and the resurrection out of a spiritual moral. So, what do we say? So, Yom Kippurim is ranked with the most joyful Moed day. What do you guys say of, of, of the appointed times? How many of you are like, oh, Yom Kippur is my favorite? <laughs> but think about it. 
This is the, the most joyful of the Moed days which Israel had. And this is why Yom HaKippurim, Israel joined itself to the morning offering of the Tamid as the re-established par as being offered renewed to the service of God. As the re-established, as the renewed flock of God, the re-established flock of Yahweh, which had once lost the shepherd of its life and had again found him forever. We all have been lost sheep. We've all gone astray. But now you've been found and we are being restored to the shepherd of He is the And so Yom HaKippurim is a day to, to be joyful. It is a day to understand Yahweh desires to have a relationship with you, and he made a way where you can come into it. All right. So two things that we have to deal with for Yom HaKippurim. Yes, we're dealing with sins. We're dealing with uncleanness. But it, it, initially, we're dealing with shame and guilt. Because shame and guilt, this is things that we feel that cause us to hold on to those things in our lives. This is why we can't let go of things. See, so we're not just talking about sin. We're not just talking about uncleanness. We're talking about the reasons why we hold on to them. You know, why we, why we think we can't be forgiven. Shame and guilt. So let's look at a couple of things, what Scripture says to do about it. So guilt makes a clear distinction between the act of wrongdoing and the person of the wrongdoer. The act was wrong, but the agent remains in principle intact. This is why guilt can be removed or atoned for by confession remorse and restitution. We hear this, you know, hate not the sinner, but the sin. It is the basic axiom of a guilt culture, okay? So guilt, we learn, is personal. It's within ourselves, the conscience. We are aware we have committed a trespass. Guilt is associated with an act. Guilt is like, I did this, and I feel guilty because I did this. By saying the guilt, you're not saying oh, I'm just a terrible person, you're saying, I have, com- I have committed a terrible act. Shame cannot be removed by forgiveness. The victim of our crime may have forgiven us, but we still feel defiled by the knowledge that our name has been disgraced, our reputation harmed, our standing damaged. We still feel the stigma, dishonor, and degradation. Shame calls for a need for cleansing. Between guilty shame means we need something cleansed. We need something wiped away. We need something, okay? So shame is social. This is what we experience by our actions are observed or discovered by others. You know, many people may feel guilty, but then when things come out, then they feel shame, right? So shame is associated with a person. Guilt is associated with, so Adam and Hava, they hid in the garden and they were ashamed. So we're dealing with guilt and shame as well as covering over sin transgression, being atoned for, all this in there. 1 John 1, 7-9 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? One another. And the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See that? What's that word? Cleanses us from all sin. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we are unrepentant, then it's not there. But if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive and what? Cleanse. See, both of these things are needed. Not just forgiveness, not just cleansing, but for atonement to truly be provided, you have to deal with guilt and shame and the trespass, so we need forgiven and cleansing. So you can say, oh, I forgive you, but it's still there. See, but he he says, I forgive you, and I'm going to make it like it was never there. See, that's why when we come to Yahweh, we can be, be forgiven, but we can also now have that new clean conscience because we can okay so he cleanses us from all unrighteousness 
Okay, so in, uh, in the book, Talking Torah at Your Table with Your Family. Is that important? Absolutely, okay? So there's a, a commentary on Yom Kippurim from Talking Torah at the Table with Your Family. I know it's kind of small print, but I'm going to read it to you, okay? So on this day, Yom Kippur, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you of all your misdeeds, and you shall be cleansed before Adonai. That's Leviticus 16.30. This verse repeats the phrase about being cleansed or forgiven by God. The second phrase mentions specifically, you shall be forgiven by God, cleansed before Adonai. In the Talmud, Yoma 85b, Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah said, the phrase cleansed before Adonai is explicitly mentioned to teach that only misdeeds between humans and Adonai are forgiven. However, misdeeds committed against other human beings, called in Hebrew, Avrayot Shabin Adam Lechavaro, Yom Kippur, does not atone until the perpetrator of the misdeed asks forgiveness from the person against whom the misdeed was committed. Consider that for a moment. If I harm my brother, and I say, Yahweh, forgive me, and then I go to my brother and say, God forgave me, why can't you? Is that truly working in the way that Yahweh wants us to live with one another, dwell with one another, and, and live in a place of atonement? Absolutely not. So, so we need to, again, ask Yahweh for forgiveness, but yet if we've harmed our brothers, we need to realize we need to make that right. We can't just say, oh, against God alone have I sinned if I've, like, just beat you to a pulp right here. You can't do that. So we ask Yahweh for forgiveness, but we also need to go talk to our brothers. So what else? Uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in Essays on Ethics says this. The Torah states, this shall be an eternal law for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall you, you fast and not do any work. This is because on this day, you shall have all your sins atoned so that you will be cleansed before God and you will be cleansed of all your sins. So, two quite distinct processes are involved in Yom Kippur. First, there was kippurah, or atonement. This is the normal function of a sin offering. Second, there was tahara. Tahara is purification. Something normally done in a different context altogether. Namely, removal of tumah, or ritual defilement, which could arise from a number of different causes. Among them, contract a dead body, skin disease, nocturnal discharge, all of these things. So what we've learned is that atonement has to do with guilt. Purification has to do with contamination. Generally, two separate things. But on Yom HaKippurim, they're dealt with at the same time and dealt with together. In other words, everything being dealt with. So how do we come before Yahweh? How do we come before him? How do we, how do we go into his presence? How do we do these? Leviticus 16.1 says that Yahweh spoke to Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before Yahweh and died. Wait a minute. If the goal is to come before Yahweh and if the goal is to have a relationship with him and be in his presence, how come not Avanavi who died? You know, we can read a lot about it. There's a lot of comments. What we do read specifically is that they brought strange fire before. We can read between the lines on a lot of things. What, ultimately what it comes down to is this. They acted outside of their realms of what they were anointed. To. They were anointed to be Aaron's sons. They tried to bring incense before Yahweh, something that was only Aaron's. So they they're trying to work outside of what Yahweh called them to do. It wasn't their place. To. And Yahweh says to those nearest to me, I will be sanctified. That's what he told Aaron directly. In other words, Aaron had a task to do, and it was nobody's else, nobody else's place. Not even his sons. Could. Aaron was the So they could come into the presence of Yahweh, but it had to be done the right way at the right time. The right heart, everything. And so when they tried to approach the Father, they didn't do it the way that he prescribed. Look, we read, and their entering close to the nearness of the presence of God lay the cause of their death. Seems kind of odd to say, but, but that's what we read. Because it says, the misunderstanding, the height of the Jewish ordeal and the complete 
overestimation of their own importance. Stop the, oh, the overestimation of their own. It's kind of like today. Oh, I can do whatever I want, and God will be happy with it. Really? I don't think so. Look, not recognizing their own imperfections formed the personal side of their error, which brought about. They tried to step outside of something that was their plate, and they thought they could be okay. And just, Again, Yahweh says he wants us to come into his presence, but there's a way he said, look, life had to be. He doesn't want death. He wants life. Like you, he wants your life. What we learn in the scripture is that Yahweh is the God of the living. Right? You know what Yeshua said? He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzhak, the God of Yaakov. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He is the God of the living. He wants life in his presence, not death. But what we've learned is that life is in the blood. But there was a specific reason, purpose for it. In Deuteronomy 12, 23, it says, Be sure you eat not the blood, because the blood is the life, that you may not eat the life with the flesh. In John 6, 53, again, Yeshua says, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Again, representing the life is in the blood, what he was talking about. In John 6, 54, who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's not saying to literally do that, guys, okay? But I'm saying, he's talking about the life is in the blood. And then, and then we learn, that the blood was given to make atonement. The purpose of the blood was to provide atonement and to provide life. Look, Leviticus 17, 11. The life of the flesh is in what? In the blood. And I have given it to do what? To go up on atonement. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So it's the life that makes atonement, not death. The death of the animal that was brought near was the means for the blood to go to the altar, which went there and went on the fire and went up in smoke. And the scripture literally says, in the presence, in the face. So that was a means for that to happen, to be brought near with the korban, but that had to be done. The blood had to be applied. It was the life that Yahweh is. It is the, it is the blood. It is the life. So what and who was atonement for? Leviticus 15.31, we read, it says, So you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die not in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. So we learn that Israel needed atonement. But guess what? <laughs> Israel was the people of Yahweh that was given in a place of covenant. But, but all that were here were not just natural-born descendants of the 12 tribes. It was Abraham, Isaac, Yaakov, their descendants, and those, those were others who had joined in with them. But yet, they all lived it, it, around the Mishkan, but there was a means of their life, and there was a, 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 they needed atonement. Because, guess what? People sin. No one was perfect. And then there was a the whole issue of being unclean. And unclean, remember, multiple kinds of, of unclean. There was an unclean that just affected you, and then there was an unclean that was contaminating. There was an unclean like sarad, like a skin afflictions that would come forth from you that could defile others. And then there's the things that come forth from within you that can defile others, like gossip, slander, others. And so atonement needed to be provided not just for sin, but for unclean as well. And the point here, because they made my tabernacle the place where he dwells, the place where his name was. My tabernacle among them, they defiled it, you know. And many people say, well, you know, we don't need a tabernacle or a temple today because you are a temple for his presence. You know what? You are a temple for his presence. His ruach dwells within you. But we should stop and consider that. If, if, if the need to be clean to go into a place, a mishkan, to go into the place, if we needed to be clean just to be near the place, why do we not think we need to be clean if he's in you? <laughs> it's even more accountable, Right? So again, these are things that we need to consider, all right? What else? To understand atonement, we have to understand defilement. 
It's not just about sin. It's about sin and unclean and things that can defile. So what is considered clean? What is considered unclean? We're not taught these things today. These are things that we learn in the Torah, the differences between clean and clean and holy and common, and we're told they don't matter today. But the Scripture tells us we need to learn these things. What is clean? What is unclean? What's contaminating? What's defilement? What's holy? What's unholy? All of these things we need to consider and learn. So if coming to life in Messiah makes you clean, then what are we really saying? Is being clean as simple taking a bath, wash away the outward appearances of dirt? It's a matter of cleansing, cleansing your heart, cleansing your conscience, cleansing everything about you. And that you can't do. But when we present ourselves to him, he said he'll do just that. We believe it. See, in Yom Kippurim, he's showing us what he's desiring to do in you, not just physically, but physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, every part. So here, the priests of Yahweh were to discern and to teach the differences between clean and clean and holy and common. We see this in Leviticus 10.10, where it says, uh, you may put a difference between the holy and the unholy, between the the unclean and the clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which Yahweh has spoken to them by the hand of Moshe. So again, the Levites were to not just serve in the temple, but they were also to teach the people of Israel the differences and to discern between the clean and clean, the holy and common, and the things that Moshe had, had been given. Their job of the Levites was to work in the temple for Yahweh, to minister to Yahweh, to minister to the people, and Ezekiel 44, 15 to 17. So the priests and the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge by sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer uh, the fat and the blood, says, says the Lord God, and they shall enter into my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table and minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And it shall come to pass that when they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and no wool shall come upon them while they minister in the gates of the inner court within. But see, the responsibility was to teach. 44.23, they shall teach my people the difference to discern between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So again, the point being, Atonement wasn't just for sin. It was also for the un- right. Leviticus 16.16, we read that uh, Aaron, he makes atonement for the holy place. How can you make atonement for the holy place if atonement only involves sin? The holy place did not sin. That's why I said there's more to it. That's why it's literally Yom HaKippurim, the day of atonements. Atonement was made and provided for multiple things. The people were only one of them. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness. Why was atonement needed for the holy place? It tells us because of what? uncleanness for the children of Israel and because of transgression and all their sins and so they shall do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains in the Romans 3 23 to 26 all have sinned who are we included in that <laughs> all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are and, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Yeshua so whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show that God's righteousness because his divine forbearance that he had passed over former sins. So it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Yeshua. So he is the propitiation for sin. He is the one who will forgive and to cover and to cleanse. Not just turn a blind eye. Not just saying, well, I don't see it. <laughs> see you and those other things that are there, I can wipe away. We've got to be willing to let him. We have a role in that. Uncleanness keeps us from the presence of Notice, and I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about uncleanness as well. If someone within Israel was unclean, they were outside the camp for a period of time. Were they not? So, again, it's not just talking about sin. It's a matter of sin and uncleanness, and both of these need to be dealt with. Okay, so uncleanness can include sin, but is not limited to sin. 
To be unclean means that you cannot come into the tabernacle to worship. You are isolated. So in order to come back in and be restored, what do we need? We need to be clean. We need to be made whole. We need to be cleansed. You ever wonder, just stop to think about this, for the, those who had leprosy when Yeshua dealt with them, they came and they said, if you can, you can make me, they didn't say heal me, they said cleanse me. Now, in this case, the cleansing included heal, but it's not just being made whole they wanted, they wanted to be made whole and they wanted to be cleansed, to be restored back into a place to come into. So we're talking about a need for cleansing and making clean. We see in, in Zechariah 13, 1 and 2, it says, on that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from what? Sin and uncleanness. See, not just sin, sin and uncleanness. See, we're taught, well, atonement only, atonement deals with sin. Yes, but there's more to it. See, sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares Yahweh of Aot, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be, uh, be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of unclean spirit of remove everything okay so regarding cleansing the mishkan we read in the zondervan illustrated bible backgrounds commentary this the israelite sanctuary was cleansed from physical ritual impurities and moral faults caused by the people throughout the year not just their physical actions but their moral faults because the tabernacle in their midst represented the heart of the people so if the people are unclean what does that mean that's going to do to the tabernacle in the rent? So, the goal of purging, as a, as a contrast, Babylonian holy places was to remove impurity caused by what they said, presence of demons. However, evil faced by the Israelites resulted from their own the difference in the contrast and the thought process. Israel is acknowledging our temple, our, our mishkan, the tabernacle, is defiled because, in other words, we're not trying to pass the blame. The devil made me do it. No, because we choose our thoughts. We choose our paths. We have the choice. This is what he's saying. So we, have a, we have defilement because of the choices that we've made and because of our heart. Confess our sin, and he can make atonement for that. So atonement and freedom go together. You ever wonder why the Yovel was declared on Yom Kippur? It was declared, you know, the Jubilee was declared on Yom Kippur. You know, the 50 year where all go back to their land, where all debts are forgiven. Everyone goes back home. You ever wonder why? Because because atonement was provided, because all this was done for them, it allowed the means for all the people to return back to that place that was rightfully theirs and that Yahweh called them to. So look, we're not truly free without atonement. We may be delivered from, but we need to be delivered to. Yahweh is delivering us to himself, delivering us to his presence, and we need to be brought into his presence. So to be brought into the presence of Yahweh, we need to be clean. In other words, we need to be atoned for if we can be brought into. So by being atoned for, we can be brought near into the presence of the Father. This is what Yeshua has done for us. Because Yeshua provided atonement for us, he allowed us to go into the presence of the Most High. And when we are equipped to live the life he has called us to. He says that the word is to be written on your heart. In other words, it's not just something we read about, not just something to talk about, not just something to, to kind of, no, it's something that changes you. It's in you, changes the very core of who you are. Now we're living for him. We're not living for our own. First John 1, 7 through 9 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So notice again, not just forgiveness, but forgiveness and cleansing. These two things together is what we're talking about when we say atonement. So who can do the service? If I was to just answer, just cut to the chase, only Aaron could. 
Okay, specifically not Aaron, but the high priest. Okay, only the high priest could, could do the service that was given. But there's a few things we learn about. One, this, Leviticus 16.6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. This is interesting because Aaron, before he could go and make atonement for anyone else, he had to make sure that atonement was provided for himself and for his household. Why? Why couldn't Aaron just do the offerings for everyone else? Because Aaron was human. Aaron had sin in his life. <gasps> he was a man. He had faults. I hate to, hate to tell you this. Guys have faults. <laughs> We're going to go, yeah, they do. We all have faults. We all fall short. This is the importance, though, of, of Yahweh intervening in our life and showing up. So before he could go and get atonement for himself, or for Israel, he had to make atonement for himself. Because... If he was to do to try to make atonement for everyone else before he had this provided for himself, it could be detrimental. Because when he would try to go into the presence of the Most High and he was not atoned for, plus consider this. If Aaron sinned and then came into the presence of Yahweh to try to do that, then everything that would be under Aaron's jurisdiction and authority would come under fault because Aaron was not atoned for. The one who goes in to make the service ideally is one who has no so who is one that has no sin <laughs> only yeshua because aaron had it in his heart and in, in his life look i want to point this out to you this is important aaron had to offer a sin offering and a burn offering and he had to repent and be clean because according to leviticus 4 3 we read that if the anointed priest the the who the word's the word for anointed mashiach so if the anointed priest if he sins, he brings guilt on all the people. In other words, if Aaron sinned, he didn't just bring guilt on himself. He brought guilt on everything that was under his authority and his rule. Everything that he was supposed to be helpful of and to make atonement for. Everything that was his responsibility, he brought guilt on them. This is why it was important to note that Yeshua had no Because if Yeshua had sinned, he would have brought guilt on everything under his rule and his authority. And what's that? Everything. So it was important that the, the, that the priest... Make sure he has atonement. But Yeshua, he was sinless going in. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says that Yeshua, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He emptied himself, much like Aaron, when he would go into the presence of, of, of the inner courts. You know, when he ministered in the holy place, he wore his garments of, uh, you know, of splendor, for splendor and for glory. When he went into the most holy place, he mikvahed, he took off his, his garments for glory and splendor and put on the plain white linen garments like all the other priests had to have and go into the most holy place in the form looking like everybody else. In other words, he had to empty himself of his glory and splendor to become like everyone else. But sinless represented that way so he could go into the presence of the Father. That's what he did for us. He emptied himself of his glory and splendor to become like us, but sinless, so that he could go into First John 3, 3 and 5. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. So you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Sin is violation of Torah. That's what lawlessness means, to violate the without Torah. So when he says there was no sin in him, that means 
he never once violated the Torah. If he had violated the Torah, that would be considered sin. And he could not be who the place of atonement, what we call the mercy seat, the, the, the place there on the Arun, on the ark. Number 789, when Moshe went into the tent of meeting to speak with Yahweh, he heard the voice speaking with him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. A word that's used there uh, is hakeparet, and the Greek word hilasterion means the place of object or propitiation that's being used there. So this is the place where atonement was provided. Look at Leviticus 16, 32 to 34. So when we read this, who was to make atonement? The priest, the Kohen, who was anointed and consecrated. So the priest who was anointed. Now it's interesting because after Aaron was anointed and put in place, he was called HaKohen HaMashiach, the anointed priest. But you know, all the other high priests were called HaKohen HaGadol, high priest. Aaron was called HaKohen HaMashiach. Because see, not all the other high priests represented Yeshua. Aaron did. See, when Yahweh was telling us about this, he was saying, this is my anointed priest. This is what Yeshua is for us. He is our anointed priest that will go in and, and, and make, uh, make. So the priest who was anointed and consecrated to be Kohen in his father's place. The one who was anointed in his father's stead for his father. He will make atonement. And he will put on the linen garments, the holy garments. So how did this work? Verse 33 it says, he will make atonement for the especially holy place. That's the most holy place, the holy of holies. He will make atonement for the tent of meeting. He will make atonement for the altar. He will make atonement for the Kohanim. And he will make atonement for all the people of the community. And all of this is after he made atonement for himself and his household. So when we read in the scripture, it says, you know, we, we, we've been taught only one time in the whole year, Aaron can go into the most holy place. Here's the thing. It's not one time. It's one day. He went in multiple times. It's only one day. If you go and you actually read through it, you see there was more that was. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. It says, When the Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol of the good things that are happening already, then through the greater and more perfect tent, which is not man-made, and has not created this world, he entered the holiest place once and for all. He entered not by means of blood or goats or calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. Stop here for a second. What does it mean when he says by entering in by the blood of goats and calves? When were the blood of goats and calves brought in? On Yom Kippurim, on the Day of Atonement. So, is this talking about the Yom Kippur service? Yes. So it says so. If by doing this, it, it allows for this, and it does this, and 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 what happens next? So, verse fourteen, verse thirteen. For if sprinkling ceremonially unclean persons with the blood of the goats and the bulls and the ashes of the heifer restores their outward purity, what this is saying is this did this. This was just a restoration of outward purity that was done. Remember the sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer? This was a restoring of, of an outward purity. So it's saying if this did this, then the rest of it makes sense. Then verse 14, then how much more the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, will purify our conscience from works that lead to death that we can serve the living God. So if this did this, Verse 13, if providing these things made a place of purification for us, then how much more Yeshua making the place for us where we can be restored within? It's not just an outward purity. It's all of everything. So restoring your conscience, cleansing your conscience, writing his word in you, changing everything. Side note on, on uh, eternal salvation that we have here. While we're here talking about salvation and atonement and all these, all these other things, in Isaiah 45, 17 to 22, we read, Israel has been saved by Adonai with an everlasting salvation. Interesting. So we read in the Hebrew, Israel nos, nosia be Yahweh, 
Okay, so this Israel it has a it has been saved by Yahweh, and then we have Teshuat Olamim. Teshuat is still a form of Yeshua. Olamim is forever. So for Israel is saved with an everlasting Yeshua. What does that mean to you? Or more like, who does that mean? You will not be put to shame or disgrace forever and ever. For thus says Adonai, He is God who fashioned the heavens, who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create and desolate, reformed it to be inhabited. I am Adonai, there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a place of land or darkness. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in desolation. I, Adonai, speak righteousness, declaring uprightly. Assemble yourselves and come and draw near together, fugitives of the nations. Those who carry their wooden idols have no knowledge, praying to a God who cannot save. Verse 21. So declare and present your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who foretold this from ancient time, who has declared it of old, is it not I, Adonai? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God there is. So again, we're talking about salvation being provided and Yahweh's calling the people to repentance. He will be there. Psalm 31, 2. It says, In you, Adonai, have I taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Trust in him. And when we come to him, he will make atonement, but he will deliver. And it is in his righteousness that we learn to walk. It is in his ways that it becomes a place of the commentary on this verse by Herman Strack states this. The Israelites said before God, Lord of the world, as long as we are enslaved, we are in dishonor and shame. Redeem us so we will have no shame for your redemption is an eternal redemption. And God said to them, since your redemption happened earlier by flesh and blood, your redemption was a redemption fleeting hour, or meaning fleeting hour. But in the future, I myself will redeem you, for I live and abide forever, and your redemption will be a redemption that endures Yahweh forever. Yahweh redeems. Just walk with him. We can choose our path, and we can walk away. Look, continuing in the service, what does the Avodah look like? Leviticus 16, talking about the Avadah, Leviticus 16 breaks it down. So when you look and you, you read this, um, break it down verse by verse, you have the introduction to, to what's about to happen, and you have the animals and the priestly dress needed for the ceremonies, the outline for the ceremonies, the description, the blood sprinkling rites, the scapegoat, the cleansing of the participants, and the people's duty, all of this in chapter 16. So if we take a look at this, how does this break down for us? First off, Aaron was to take off his normal priestly garments, wash, and then put on the special garments which were prescribed for the sacrifices which took him into the Holy of Holies. So this is what I'm saying. He took off his garments for glory and splendor that he would use when he was in the holy place. But when he went into the most holy place, he had to wear the white linen garments. So Aaron secured the necessary sacrificial animals, a bull for his own, a sin offering, and two male goats for the people's sin offering, two rams, one for Aaron's and one for the other people's the burnt offering. Then he slaughtered the bull for his own sin offering. And then before entering the Holy of Holies with the blood of the bull, Aaron had to create a cloud of incense in the Holy of Holies, covering the mercy seat to veil the glory of God so that he could enter. The best approximation of this, in my experience, I'm reading from a work here, the Day of Atonement. Um, the best of my approximation in this to keep experience of what the beekeeper does, smoking the hive of the bees before he begins to remove the honey. In this case, Aaron, he was to offer only the prescribed incense so to create an obscuring veil of smoke, dimming the glory of Yahweh's presence and sparing his life. He couldn't go veiled, okay? So Aaron, he took some of the blood of the bull and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat seven times. Then lots were cast for the two goats to determine which would be slaughtered and which would be driven away. You know, they, they, took, they took the lots. He says one for Yahweh and one for Azazel. Uh, Azazel is a compound word, guys. Literally means the goat that goes away. 
See, we translate it as a scapegoat. It's not literally what we're talking about. Literally, it means the goat that goes away. And what did it do? It went away. <laughs> so that's what, that's, what, that's what we're talking about. Okay. And uh, so the goat for the slaughter, the goat for the people's sin offering was sacrificed, and his blood was taken into the Holy of Holies and applied to the mercy seat as the bull's blood had been. And the cleansing was then made for the holy place, seemingly by the sprinkling of the blood of both the bull and the goat. And the atonement on the holy place is done alone without anyone present to help or to watch. Next, outside the tent, our own was to make atonement for the altar of burnt offering. So uh, using it would seem the blood of both the bull and the goat. And now the second goat, the one which was kept alive, had the sins of the nation symbolically laid on its head and was driven from the camp into a desolate place which it was never returned. How did he, put, how did he symbolically put the sins of, of, the, of the people on this? He laid his hands, he leaned on the goat, he made confession of his mouth over that. Again, we're talking about uh, Kafar. He took his hand, placed it on the head of the goat, and he made confession over it, and he did all that, which symbolizes some stuff, guys, okay? Uh, number uh, Leviticus 16:21 says he puts both his hands on the goat's head. He confesses over it all the evils, the sins, and the rebellions of the people of Israel, and so transfer them to the goat's head. So then the goat is to be driven off in the desert by someone of, uh, who is appointed to do it. He made confession over this and making an investment of, into this animal. Like when you brought an offering and you brought it near to the altar, you would lay your hands on it and you would make confession over this animal. Well, why are you bringing it? What's it for? What's going on? Is it a, a, a thanks, thanks offering? A peace offering? Is it a sin offering? Is it a trespass? What, what is it? And then you would lay your hands on it and you would confess over this thing. You would make an investment of yourself into this before anything was done with it. So again, we're talking about laying on of hands. And side note, because I feel it's important, do I believe laying on of hands? Absolutely. But you have to be careful who you let do that because there is something that happens. There's making an investment of identity in there. We read that Moshe laid hands on the elders. Moshe laid hands on Yehoshua. We see all these things happening. There's something that's going on there. Uh, in Acts 8.18, it says, When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given, he offered him money. Well, I'm not going into that story right now. But something happened with the laying on of hands and making confession over it. Okay? 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given by the prophecy of the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Hebrews 6.1 and 2. So leaving behind the elementary teachings about the Messiah. He's not saying not important or never touch them again. He's saying this was the elementary things. This was the starting point. What are they? Um... The foundation of the repentance from dead works, faith, uh, faith toward God, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and laying on of hands is part of that. First Timothy 5.22 says, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker in other men's sins. That's why I tell people I give a warning. You want someone to lay hands, lay hands on you and pray on you? Yeah, fine. But do you know them? Either know them personally or by reputation. Be careful. There's a consequence. Uh, as, as well as back, back to our Le Leviticus 16. So what happens next? So Aaron then enters the tent of meeting. He removes his linen garments. He washed. He put on his normal priestly garments. And then the burnt offerings of the rams, one for Aaron and his family, the other for the people, was now offered. The earlier sacrifices of the bull and the goat were completed. The fat of the sin offering was burned on the altar. The remains of the bull and the goat were taken outside the camp where they were burned. And those who had been rendered unclean by handling the animals on which the sins of Aaron and the people were laid were to wash themselves and then return to the camp. So see that? Even like with the Yom Kippur service, the people who were involved in the process of making atonement and, and providing cleansing for the people and doing this became unclean. It's kind of a bore, our sin, all of these things. He, he took them on. He bore them, took them in the process of making us. So why do we fast? I didn't see anything in there about not eating. What's this? Take a look at it. Leviticus 23. <laughs> well, yeah, Leviticus 16.31. It's a Sabbath solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. So what does it mean to afflict ourselves? Look, Leviticus 23.31. 
You shall do no manner of work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, it is Shabbat of solemn rest for you. And you shall deny yourselves. And the ninth day of the month, at evening from evening to evening, you shall keep your Shabbat. So this word that's used here for to afflict yourself, the word to afflict is anah. Anah, which means uh, looking down or browbeating, to depress, literally or figuratively, uh, uh, to afflict yourself, to chasten yourself, to deal hardly with, exercise force against, to submit self, to weaken, all of that. To, so what are we to afflict? It says yourself is nefesh. Nefesh is the word we as you translate sometimes as soul. It's also the word used for appetite, any desire. So when it says you afflict your desire, afflict, afflict, you, you afflict anything that you normally, these are things. Why do we fast? This is, this is what we're looking at, okay? Anything that we desire, we afflict that day. Why? Because it's not about us. So this is a day of examination. They have repentance, a time to receive what's been offered before it gets here. Because like Yom Teruah is a time of prepare the way, get ready. The king is coming, and when he comes, he's going to judge. That's that 10-day period between uh, Yom Teruah and Yom HaKippurim because that Yom HaKippurim is, is, has atonement been provided. Is it there? Is the act of that being done? Is it re- That's like judgment. Has it been provided? And if not, you know, they, it's acted on. And that's why Sukkot comes after. That's why Sukkot is the time of the wedding feast. That's why Sukkot is the time of learning to dwell with Yahweh. So what do we do here? It's a time to examine. Our, we take this time from now, like the 40 days leading up to Yom, to Yom HaKippurim, but even especially from Yom, Yom Teruah to Yom. Study ourselves. Check ourselves. Make sure we really believe what we say we believe. A lot of times we, you know, we, we, we look at everyone else and we see everybody else's problems, but we're not willing to look in the mirror to see us. This isn't a time to look at everybody else. It's time to look in the mirror. When we stand before Yahweh, you will not be able to point a finger at anyone else. We stand before our king. It's never be. All right. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way within me. Be honest with ourselves and honest before Yahweh. And if there's anything there that needs to change, he will lead you. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or don't you know yourselves that Messiah Yeshua was in you? Unless, of course, you failed the test. But I hope that you will realize we haven't failed the test. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. For if we were judging ourselves thoroughly, we won't be, wouldn't be coming under judgment. But when we are judged, we are being disciplined by them. 41. Let us examine and test our ways and let us, re- let us lift up our hearts. Psalm 119, 57. Adonai is my portion and I promised to guard your words. I have entreated your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I have considered my ways and turn my feet back to you. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Pursue shalom with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and see to it that no bitter root springs up or causes trouble by it. Galatians 6, 3 through 9. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he is fooling himself. Rather, let each one examine his own work and then he will have pride in himself alone and not in comparison to anyone else. For each one will carry his own load. So now let the one who has taught the word share the good thing. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also, he also reaps. For the one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows in the Ruach will reap from the Ruach. So don't lose heart. For in due time, we shall reap. Two more. Romans 8, 10 and 11. But if Messiah is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Ruach of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, then the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Ruach who dwells in you. 
Yahweh sustains you. Yahweh provides you with life. He will lead you. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make all the more effort to make your calling and election certain. For if you keep doing these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, will be richly provided. Ultimately, don't lose sight of the goal. What is the goal? It's all about him. It's all about relationships. It's all about since him living in you, you living with being. We tend to make, and yeah, let us see. So, amen.